In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. I'm back here with my co-host Jack. Jack, how are you, mate? I'm good. Looking forward to it. I'm always up for this debate. I won't uh, spoil the surprise too early, but uh, it's been on the cards. Right. We've got Brown's own beat writer, Scott Petrak. Scott, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Good, good. And whereabouts in the world are you at the moment? Olmstead Falls, Ohio. If I'm correct, that's close to Bria? Yeah, it's like the next city over, next town over. I got a five-minute drive to Brown's headquarters every day. Excellent. Must be living the dream. <laughs> sure. I have to travel 15 hours to get to there. So, uh, yeah. all right, excellent. Well, look. I've got a, a world exclusive. We are, Jack, going to talk about Hugh Jackson tonight, but I want it to be a very fair discussion. I want it to be a 360 discussion about what he needs to do to be successful and what's the worst that could happen. Jack, are you ready for this? I think it's probably best that I take this moment and leave. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I'm willing to behave for 20 minutes. Okay, great. We, if this podcast is minute 21, I'm not on like. <laughs> and Scott, are you willing to get involved in the debate? <laughs> sure. All right, excellent. But look, let's first start about you, Scott. So um, why are you a Browns fan? Well, you know what? I don't think it's right to call me a fan because I got to cover the team every day and I have to be objective. But I grew up here. Everybody I know is Browns fans. I grew up a Browns fan. I was teenage years and Bernie and those 80 teams were good. So I was all Browns. Um, so I understand everything the fans have been through. Hang on a minute, Scott. How can you not say you're a fan when you've lived through all that and you're from the area? You're a fan to me. Well, because, you know, I went to journalism school. You got to be objective. You know, I mean, it, at the end of the day, it's not supposed to bother me if they win or lose on a given Sunday. Now, it makes my job easier when they win. You know, everybody's easier to deal with. There's more excitement. So I'm all for that. But I don't live and die like you guys do. Yeah. It makes our job easier when we win because we get an yeah. extra hundred listeners to their podcast. Our post-game podcast, if we win, we get a hundred extra listeners. So uh, uh, the fans are obviously more willing to put up sure. with us if we win, whereas if we lose, we're the last people they want to hear from. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So, you know, interest is always high, but it's way higher when the Browns are winning games. And being a uh, beat writer, uh, any uh, weird, wacky, amazing stories that you broke? Anything uh, good? Um, you know, well, just recently it pops ahead, pops into my head. I talked to Jabril Peppers when he was complaining about the fans and getting run into at CBS. Yeah, we so I was the guy he, yeah, I was the one he was talking to about that. Um, so that's the latest one that pops into my mind. Yeah. I actually met Peppers in uh, London. How, well, he's a, I like him a lot. I mean, he's a, you know what, I wasn't sure about the draft pick, but then being around him, I think he's a big time athlete. I've gotten to like him as a guy. I like his attitude. Now he just has to make a couple more plays and hang on to the ball on that punt return in overtime. Yeah. When I met him in London, he was full of jokes, laughing his head off. Yeah. He's, a, he's a good guy. I think he comes across very serious on uh, – yeah. yeah, but 
super relaxed guy, funny, joking. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, last year when he was, year when he was struggling, he you know he faced us every week and he was good about his struggles. He never took it on himself, even though Greg Williams is playing him thirty-five yards off the line of scrimmage. So if he can start making plays, it's good. Jack, uh, hold on. Did you say thirty-five yards or three hundred and fifty yards? <laughs> uh, it was one of them that last year was just a massive frustration to watch um, but this year he's and Greg Williams was right when he was saying it he does things that they just don't show up in a box score mm -hmm. but he's been awesome obviously there was one drop at the end but at the same time if he if he doesn't make that rush and go all the way back up there are we in that position earlier so yeah you're going to get old little errors but he's what he's one year into his career, one and a half years into his career. So there's going to be growing pains. But what, what I've seen, I like, and I think he offers that flexibility as sort of this strong safety role that he can do everything. If you sort of wanted to push him up one play and get him to rush the pass as a DM, he could probably do it. Sure. Yeah, he, he is versatile. And I think he's going to get better as a returner because he's really athletic. He's been good with the ball in his hands. You watch his high school highlight tape. And even you saw him last week, he was guarding O.J. Howard, which is a tough matchup, and he made a couple of plays on the ball. Yeah. Jack, what were you saying to me on Sunday? You were drunk. Can you remember? <laughs> Probably not. Something about, pass me the salt, here comes peppers, you had a little charm. Do you not remember that? No, I don't. Okay, okay. <laughs> anyway, that's, why, that's why Jack didn't come on the show on Sunday, because he was that drunk. But you made a little, you made a little joke up saying, uh, come on, Paul, pass me the salt, because Pepper's playing or something. You said. But anyway, you don't remember. So. Uh, no. All right, Scott, here's, here's one for you. I've booked a table for three people. You can bring one star from the Browns and anyone else from the world. Who would be your two guests? So when you say staff from the Browns, is that like a coach? It could be anyone. Anyone that's not a player. Um, you know what? I'm going to go Todd Haley because I'd like to get to know him a little better. And I think off the record, he'd be an interesting guy to hang out with. Um, and then away from the Browns, I'll go Bruce Springsteen. Yes. And I should say Barack Obama because I think he'd be interesting, but I'm going to go with Jennifer Aniston. What? I've been Jennifer Aniston for about 25 years. Yeah. And Scott, you married? I am. Okay. I think Jennifer's just recently broken up, isn't she, in a relationship? <laughs> I'm not going to put any pressure on your relationship there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excellent. Um, yeah, that'd be an interesting dinner, that would be. Yeah. Do you think uh, Jennifer's a big uh, football fan? I don't know. I don't know. If she is, she should be a Browns fan, though, you know. I'm guessing New York team. I don't know why. They generally... Maybe Boston. Maybe going to support them big yeah. teams. Two teams in LA now. I don't know. Yeah. All right, excellent. Here we go. This has got to be something positive as well, because this show is all about positivity. If you were Dorsey for the day, what would you do? Yeah. Um... That, that's a good one. Like, do I go back in time or right now? Right now. now. Right now. I got this for Jack just before he says anything. <laughs> I guess I would say trade for the best receiver you could trade for. And I don't know what realistically that is. I don't think it's Odell Beckham. Obviously, it's not Amari Cooper. But that's the one position that I think could have the biggest impact. I'm just not sure there's a guy out there. Are you um... – Got high hopes for uh, Perryman at all? For who? Yeah, Perryman. Yeah, Brashad oh, Perryman. Perryman. 
Yeah. yeah, I think he could. I'll tell you what, he's a bigger guy than I thought he was. I knew he was fast, but he's thick and physical. So I think if he gets up to speed, he could have – he could be that guy you're hoping steps up. Um, we just need – the Browns just need Callaway to start making more plays. He's just been too inconsistent. Yeah, I think the issue we're going to see with Perryman at some stage is that he's just been hampered by injuries everywhere he turns in the NFL. So you're probably going to see very soon that he's out and it'll probably be on IR and then that's probably going to be it. And that's a shame because some of these young players have got so much talent and just a successive chain of injuries. And it probably could be a different story for Corey Coleman if he had been fit for two whole years. Yes, Maybe. there's questions on attitude and everything. But if you get 32 games under your belt, then you're a different player. Yeah, no, you're right about that. And Perryman also has a history of some drops, so we'll see if that crops up. But physically, you look at him, and he looks like a player. Scott, what body part are you willing to give up for the Browns to win the Super Bowl? Yeah, I, I'm going to say none. I mean, I probably, I probably would give up a little toe because it would make everybody happy. But, you know, I need all ten fingers to play golf. You know, that's about it. A little toe would be about it. How about giving up one of the nice bottles of wine, eh? Yeah, you can have all those. Just yeah. All right, good. So, uh, yeah, I was hoping you were going to come strong then, Scott, and go, that's it. You can take my heart out, but no. <laughs> okay, good. Sorry. I mean, we already established that, you know, I should root for him. You know, I can't really go out on a limb there. How dangerous would I be if I got a job at the Browns with all that passion? I'd be like, I'd get so angry in, there, in the uh, press room. You have that much passion that by the end of the game, you wouldn't have a job at the Browns. Yeah, it could be <laughs> I mean, you know, there's a rule. You're not allowed to cheer in the press box. So it kind of gets ingrained in you. Yeah. Do you think I could get away of asking, going, hello, this is uh, Paul Brown from England, and this is the Paul Brown podcast. Hugh Jackson, what body part are you willing to give up for the Browns to win the Super Bowl? <laughs> he'd, probably give up, he'd probably have a much better answer. He'd, he'd give up a lot if it came with him as coach. Do you think he'd laugh or say, get this idiot out of the room? <laughs> well, he'd probably, you know, well, he, he's never thrown anybody out. But I don't, I don't know how he'd answer that. Yeah, okay, good. All right, well, this is the main, main feature. Um, everyone knows I am, it is a pro Hugh Jackson show. 50%. 51-45%. And, um, but I thought today, there's a lot of people that just go straight in with the negative. I thought, let's have a grown-up conversation about it. And let's look at, first of all, what can Hugh do here to save his job at least to the end of the season? I think that's... I think before we go into the season, I think it's much more sensible to have this argument up to the bye. Okay. Because I think if results don't go his way by the time he gets to the bye, that might be it. So I think there needs to be a target for him before we get to the bye. So Scott, what's your view? What does uh, he need to do uh, to keep his job by the bye? I, I think a win over Pittsburgh or Kansas City gets him through the bye for sure. I have no doubt about that. Because one of those would be a signature win. He doesn't Just need one. two, man. Just one. Just one? I've got two. Uh, really? I think he needs them two. And I don't think the Falcons are going to be as hard as it seems. Right. Uh, at the start of the season, I, I, I had one that chalked up as like, oh, we've lost that game. Don't worry about that. But... It's just, I don't know quite why. Um, there's obviously the injuries that they've got there, but if, if we win, I'd, I'd say two wins, but if one, that one wins against Kansas City, I think that might be the one that 
if he outcoach or we outcoach them as a team and win that, obviously if it's a fluke and something goes sure. crazy, then. But if you outcoach Kansas City and we win that one, then that might be enough. But I think two wins is probably what he's going to need, just because I think Dorsey and Haslam's if they're going to make the move, if you get ahead of that coaching search, then you might get the better head coaches. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I just think a Pittsburgh win means so much, especially at Pittsburgh. And then you'd be 2-0-1 in the division. And that's pretty – I mean, that's as good as they've been in a long, long time. And then maybe you beat Atlanta. So I think you'd have some positive momentum because nobody expects them to beat Kansas City. So I think you need one of those. I'm not guaranteed – even if they lose the next three, I'm not guaranteeing that Q would get fired because the Hasms have been so supportive. I'm not sure what bringing in a new guy at the, with six weeks left does. I, I get the getting ahead of the coaching search. That's really the only reason to do it. But that always struck me as a little overrated because you talk to their agents anyway. All this conversation goes on whether or not you have a head coach. So um, I'm not sure that even if they lose five in a row going to the bye, I'm not sure he'd be fired. I think one win the next two weeks saves him. And then – the discussion gets a lot iffier when we talk about what he could do to possibly come back in 2019. Yeah, I think one interesting thing um, from my perspective on the Hughes stuff, if he can keep keep the job and keep the momentum, is what else happens obviously in the division. Because if we'd have won that Tampa Bay game, we were one win off first in the division, which considering it feels like we've blown so many chances where we should have won to be one win off the division after would it be week seven it's yeah. a fairly good position to be in if you'd have said that going into the season your season's going to be full of disappointment and you need one win off the top of the division after week seven people are going yeah we'll have that no you're, you're exactly right Jack. i'm very proud of you mate that's a really positive thing you said i said that on the show last week okay <laughs> <laughs> you're right and that's the thing about the nfl is every week we overreact. And the loss to Tampa, you could view it as they show a good comeback, what, a, you know, what resilience to come back. They lose a heartbreaker on a, a, record, a record-breaking field goal. But when you put it after the, the loss to the Chargers and you put it after the loss to the Raiders in overtime and the tie with the Steelers, then it, they just keep adding up as close losses. And eventually you say the head coach has to get you over the hump. So, you know, it's all about perspective. And I wrote a little bit about this the other day. The problem for Hugh is he always gets viewed as 1-31. in 31. And with that as a backdrop, it's going to be nearly impossible for him to have people think differently about it because that's the first thing everybody goes to. So I think the only way for him to ever come out the other side with the Browns would be to save his job this year by winning six or seven and then go to the playoffs next year. That's the only way. If not, everybody's going to be looking for the next coach. What was he? Uh, was it um, the uh, Raiders? He was 8-8, eight and eight, was it? Eight and eight. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, th- I think for me, I, I don't really judge you on the first year. I was happy to write that off. Um, the main annoyance was that we weren't developing players, and I weren't really interested in the first two years about winning. It was right. about... If we'd have come out last year, not won a game, but we'd have been within sort of three points in 12 of them, and yeah. we'd have blown it five times in overtime, 
if it was a case of the players were consistently getting better and you're just unlucky, a couple of bad officiating calls, and sort of if this season would have been last season, um, then you go in, there's some signs there. Yes, I don't like the fact that there's so much infighting between the coaching staff and stuff like that, but in terms of what's happened on the field, this year should have been last year. Right. And I think that's sort of, my frustration is, is it just our players playing really well that is bailing out the coaching staff and the coaching staff are actually hampering them? I think it's not just Hugh, but the trouble is you can't just go round Hugh and go, right, you're going to sack Greg Williams and Todd Haley and then you can appoint someone else. Right. You get rid of Hugh because then you get rid of all three of them coaches under him. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you. And the problem for Hugh, in my eyes, is the biggest selling point or his biggest argument is guys play hard for him and guys like him. Guy like Joe Thomas raves about him. And, and I respect that opinion, but that's not enough. And you can always say, Hugh, it wasn't Hugh's fault, it was Sashi's fault. And I bought into that argument. And I agree, but at some point, Hugh needs to win some games. It's that simple. And I just don't think, to this point, he's done enough. He hasn't developed players like you mentioned. He hasn't developed quarterbacks. He had a bunch of young quarterbacks that looked like they stunk, but they didn't really get better. Um, the penalties are an issue. The game management has gotten better, but it's been an issue. So there's no real selling point to say, yes, let's bring this guy back, um, except that you believe, if you're the Haslam's, you believe two years ago he was the right guy. And that's really the only reason. And interestingly, on the like going for two, I'm up for doing it nearly every time. Um, the going for it on fourth down, mm -hmm. the issue hasn't been the going for it on fourth down. It's the play calling that right. went for right. uh, fourth down because it was like there's great opportunities where um, it wasn't this week. It was the week before or the week before that where it was like it's a great play to go for it and then you throw it on third and two and it's like no – that's one of them rare times when I'm actually like, you get the running back in there and you charge yeah. that. And, um, no, I like the, I don't know if it's just because he, he feels like he's got to go out there and get the win or what's driving him to make that decision. But the going for two and stuff like that, it, it makes sense. All the numbers, all the evidence says it's the right decision to make. Just do it. But even that, and I'm with you, and I don't blame him at all for going for the quarterback sneak. I don't blame him at all for going fourth and two at the end of the half because – it looked like you needed to score 30, and they had two points. So I get it. Um, and I think the criticism is off base there. But even with the aggressiveness, he's inconsistent. He goes for two a bunch against Oakland and then doesn't since then. He, you know, you look at what Philly did a couple weeks ago and then what the Giants did last night, going for two after you're down 14 and you score. Well, they were in that spot against Tampa, and they kicked the extra point. So it, it just feels too inconsistent, and it feels like a guy that's trying not to make mistakes because he thinks he could get fired at any minute. And that's, I don't know if he feels like that, but that's how it looks. Yeah, it was funny of him. Uh, he was doing it all for a game then got asked in the post-match press conference, are you doing it because the analytics say it's the right decision? And that seemed to be the moment when he went, right, I'm going to stop doing that. And it, <laughs> it felt that petty that it's like, Sashi Brown would want this, I'll have to stop it now. And it was, it was just like, you're doing it and it's right and all the evidence and, even like analytics, Twitter's like, yes, he's probably not doing this for the right reason, but he's right. right. And right. Uh, I'll hate Hugh when Hugh makes an error, but when he does stuff like that, it's like, yes, he's doing it right. And then he just ends it abruptly. It's just, it's so frustrating. That's, that's hysterical because you're right. 
You're right. And the reason to do it is because of analytics. I mean, that's the reason. And to deny that or disavow it is silly. You might, you know. All right. So we've got nine games to go. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. Um, what uh, does, what do we think you, how many losses can you have now before he gets sacked? You think? Um, I think if we don't win any of the next three, that's probably going to be it. I think he's got to either make the playoffs or be within one win of making the playoffs to stay the next year. I think he'd have to make the playoffs to stay next year. And I think the reason why they probably kept him this year and the rumours were that they spoke to potential head coaching candidates this off-season and they probably got the feeling of, well, I don't really want to go there because no one knows what the Browns were going to be. There's some nice pieces, but who knows? And I think people will look at the Rams and go, Sean McVay came in, young quarterback, good pieces. <coughs> they did amazing things. And uh, I think many people, many people in the head coaching circles will now, it's the same way Dorsey went, I want to go into that club because all the assets are there. Whatever I do, it's going to be win-win. And I think head coaching candidates and the top ones are going to be saying the same thing about the Cleveland Browns and going, I really want to get there. And it might even be a case where they don't want to sack you, but they go, well, we've got this fantastic head coach. If we don't take him now, we're not going to get him. And yeah. that might be another factor that will force, force the hand and force you out. Scott, what's your, what's your view? How many losses do you reckon he's got? Um, I, think he needs, so I think he needs to win at least six games. So he can get a total of nine. And then I think they'd have a decision to make. Um, it probably depends which games they win. If they have a signature win or two, that might buy him another year. But you're right. If they think there's a coach they love out there that they need to get, that changes things. And if you think, you know, the development of Baker Mayfield is so important. If you think Hugh's helping or hinder, if you think you can keep Todd Haley for another year and that would help develop Baker Mayfield, or if you think you got to bring in Lincoln Riley or a guy like that, and take off with Baker then, you know, or an Eric Bieniemy that's with the Chiefs, somebody in that vein, mm. then I think that forces your decision. So you reckon out of the nine games left, he's got to win five? I think five, I think if he goes five and four, he for sure comes back. I think if he goes four and five, there's a chance. Okay. What about you, Paul? You're, you're the Hugh fanboy here. Well... I think I, I think a huge thing is what Jimmy said at the end of the season last year, and it was quite a clever move, is that what you, what new head coach wants to come here if we as an organisation only give them two years? They wanted consistency, so they decided to give um, Jackson the third year. So I feel that if he doesn't win, they'll do something similar to Dorsey and bring a coach in maybe the last four games to try things out, get him ready for the next season? Oh, uh, I think if, if Hugh gets sacked at the bye, I think it's very much likely to be Haley or Williams that is probably going to be running that team. And it's more of an outward statement of, we're open for business. Who wants the job? Uh, rather than a case of whoever they actually want coming in, because no one out there is going to be available and that sort of person they're looking to bring in. So... Um, I think it's more of a statement move and it passes over to one of them two rather than a the actual new head coach will come in at the bye. Actually, m- more of that point, I reckon 
he's staying in for the, for the whole season then, I reckon. If, if there's no one out there, then I think he will stay and do a job to the end of the season. Mm, I don't know where you think about it, Scott. I think it's one of them where even if it gets to the last two weeks of sort of, that's sort of where they'll ditch some of them like a week or two early to make that statement. But I think it might also be a case of if the division remains really, really tight, it might stay until it's mathematically possible that the playoffs is dead. And then they go, right, whether that's week 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, that might be the, the trigger. I think once the playoffs is dead, if you're going to let him go, you may as well just get it done. Yeah, that's possible. And like I said, we don't know how Dorsey plays into this, but if you look at the Haslam's history, they fired Shermer after the season, Chud after the season, Patton after the season. So they haven't been in a rush to do it in December. That could change if Dorsey's got a different plan. Um, but I think it's 50-50. I think depending how the next three weeks go, he could be fired to buy. If it's not, then I think it's through the end of the season. Um, and even if you ask me to kind of handicap it overall, I'd go 50-50 whether or not he makes it through the end of the season. Much less whether or not he comes back next year. So I'm going out for the Falcons game. That could be his last one. I was at Mourinho's last game. So Both Mourinho's last games. Anyway, this is not a soccer show. We're uh, American. <laughs> so, uh, all right, excellent. Um, yeah, what's, what's um, everyone's views on, um, yeah, if – if Hugh Jackson went, do you think Haley or Williams would step up into that um, uh, head coach uh, position? I think temporarily for the year, I think it'd more likely to be Haley because the focus would be around Baker um, and it would just be offensive based on that one decision there. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a tough one. They both have head coaching experience. I think Todd Haley and John Dorsey go back a little further. Um, but you could also make the argument that it's tough to call plays and be head coach, so Greg could turn over the defensive calls to his son. Todd Haley could still call the offense. Um, but, you know, if you watch Hard Knocks, and obviously everybody did, it felt like Haley was angling toward the, for the head coaching job a little bit, and I never got that sense from Greg Williams. Um, and maybe angling's not the right word. Maybe he just carries himself like a head coach. And Greg's been around for a couple of years, and I never got that sense out of Greg. I've got a question. Just say um... – Hugh Jackson goes. He doesn't doesn't get that one win away from the playoffs. What's next for him? What what could we see him? Could we see him come back as a head coach or? No. I mean, he goes back to Cincinnati as offensive coordinator. I, I would think. Um, you know, I think Cincinnati is the only team in the league that would consider hiring him as a head coach, which boggled my mind because they were thinking about it last year when he was one and thirty-one. Um, I, I just think you can't convince a fan base, whatever his record winds up being, six and forty, whatever it is. How do you convince a fan base that he's a good hire? Yeah, yeah. I think the only way you'd ever go back to it is if you went to Cincinnati. Uh, Lewis does one more year, and he turns around the offense, and they become something great. Um, which it's always boom and bust with Cincinnati. Of it, when it clicks, it clicks, and when it doesn't, it doesn't. And uh, who knows whether they give a punt and they kept Marvin Lewis when everything looked like he had to go. So, um, never say never, but I think his time is done. I think he would just remain sort of as an offensive coordinator or someone doing that sort of stuff. Yeah. Bengals OC then? I think it, it could be. Okay. 
All right. And Scott, how many um, wins do you think the Browns get rest of the season now? You know, I've been going back and forth all year. I started with five, and then I went to seven after I had a couple wins early. Um, the schedule gets harder. I'm going to say six. I'm going to go they finish six, nine, and one. But even that, that's a stretch because the schedule's hard. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with that right now. Yeah, okay. Uh, and then sort of from an angle of who's the sort of mainly head coaching people out there who you fancy if – if I turned it over to you, Dorsey, for a day, you've got to hire someone, not for now, but for the end of the season. Yeah. Um, who's top of your list? You know what? The, the number one guy I would hire, and I, he's not going to take the job, but I love Tony Dungeon. I love his personality. I love what he did in two different places. I think he changes the culture. If I could get one guy, and this was before they hired Dorsey, I would have brought him in to be GM if he wanted to do it. I just think he's a guy I want running my team. I respect him that much. But anyway, so he'd be my number one. I think more likely is make a run at a Lincoln Riley, make a run at Eric Bieniemy, the Chiefs coordinator. Now, he doesn't have all the responsibility because Andy Reid calls the plays, but they're high-powered. He's a young guy, and John Dorsey raves about him. Like, anytime he talks assistant coaches, he brings him up. So that's a guy I would keep an eye on. John DeFilippo's name will probably be mentioned. I didn't love him when he was here for the one year as a coordinator. Um, but so I, I guess my wish list would start with Tony Dungy, and then I'd have to do a lot of research on Lincoln Riley because I don't want to just get him because of Baker, and he's only been in this job for a couple of years at Oklahoma. But if you get the right up-and-coming guy, look at Sean McVay. I mean, you guys have mentioned it. I would consider that. And I, you know what? I, and he's not coming here either, but Mike Zimmer – in Minnesota, he was one of the guys that the Bronx had a chance to hire and let get away, and I think they regret that. No, I think for me, there's been lots of questions, and there's even been people sort of claiming to have sort of spoke to the friends of Dorsey are back, um, saying that he's looking at a sort of a defensive-minded coach with a young offensive mind, and for me, whoever that person we go and get, I want them to be on offensive um, head coach purely for the reason of if the head coach is having meetings with Dorsey telling him which picks he wants to be made I know the head coach doesn't get a final say unless you're in Oakland or uh, New England or Chiefs that I want the offense to be the focus because as we've seen from teams in the NFL and how the league's going offense wins games the whole era of defense wins championships you need to have a good defense if your offense is high-powered enough, you can paper over the cracks. Look, one of the worst defences in the league, the Chiefs are one of the best teams. Funny. You're, exactly right. You're exactly right about that. Plus, you have the Baker factor. You know, you need a coach that's going to help Baker along. And a lot of times, defensive coaches tailor the game plan and they restrict the quarterback. And you just can't have that when you spent the number one pick on Baker. Yeah, so uh, the Lincoln Riley, I know, would be a massive punt from the aspect of no real NFL experience. He's coming in quite green to it of who knows how he's going to react. But at the same time, the era of air raid offenses in the NFL is now um, scheme stuff open and Baker will throw it. Um, and if he can go and do what McVay did with, obviously, Wade Phillips isn't going to be available. There's not another Wade Phillips just sat there <laughs> off the shelf. But if you can go get an experienced defensive coordinator, and you might have to pay him as one of the highest DCs in the league, that's fine. But just keep, 
defence next to him. And uh, if he can scheme the stuff open with another young offensive mind, then uh, we could see some crazy stuff. Of like, Why not go out there with the ambition of score 40 points every week? Right. I'm with you. In, in, I think there's a chance they could keep Greg, um, depending on what coach they brought head coach they brought in if they bring in a head coach because um, I don't think I mean Greg's got his issues and his personality but you're not going to do much better than him I don't think hiring a coach he's got all kinds of experience I think guys play for play hard for him so I could see that kind of combination them trying to keep it together yeah my one frustration with Greg Williams is the last few weeks you've had the uh, offensive players on the other team coming out after and saying, yeah, we knew all his plays. He was calling this, he was calling that. And uh, it's the play calling's a bit... Predictable? Yeah, predictable. He needs to mix it up some more and uh, just sort of disguise the coverages so no one knows what's coming. Um, And for me, I want to see the end of three linebackers. I want to see three linebackers on the field unless you know it's a run play. Get me another defensive back and just be done with it. We're like one of the only two teams in the league that's not more or less going with a uh, five oh, backs or more and uh, just, just make the change and get it done. I hear you. All right, great. got two last questions for you, Scott. Next one is, if the NFL draft was tomorrow, what positions would you draft one and two? I think I'd go defensive tackle, number one. Um, I like Larry Ogunjobi a ton. And Trevor Cook, Coley is fine, but you see what Aaron Donald does, and I think this league is turning into you got to pressure a guy up the middle, and if you could pair a guy like that with Larry Ogunjobi, I would really like that. Number two, and part of that is because I don't think – I've heard there's not a ton of great wide receivers in the league, and you just took Callaway and you hit Ratley. Um, and I think number two would be corner. You can never have enough. I know you got Denzel at number four. I know you signed EJ and CJ and Terrence. Um, but I think those two positions are so need-based that those would be what I'd address. And I'd think about another defensive end, and I would think about a receiver. That would be the four I thought about. So no tackles is the interesting one, which is the other one that is floated around. Yeah. You know what? I thought about it. I think Harrison might be okay. Assuming his head's on straight, um, Doug Deacon really likes him. You know, Joe Thomas likes him. Like, everybody thinks he's got a bright future. And if he does, you know, you just paid Chris Hubbard to come play right tackle. You're not going to spend a first-round pick on a right tackle when you already have one. And I think the line, we get so focused on, we need to add line, need to help the line. It's more about those five guys working together. You don't need a top draft pick at each spot. So – Assuming Harrison's okay, by the end of the year, the evaluation is yes, he's a starter, then I think you're good. Uh, So here's my favorite question. What's your very, very, very hot take for the Browns this season? And be as bold as you want. There's no shame. with If it not happened, we're not expecting this to be 50-50 deliverance. I'm not a great hot take guy. Um, I'll just say this. I think they get a signature win for Hugh. I don't know if that's Pittsburgh or Kansas City or I don't know what else it could be, right? I mean, you look at the schedule. Last game of the season against the uh, Ravens. Yeah, but if, he's, if, if he gets fired, that's not big enough. But I think they get a win that everybody rallies around and really celebrates. So that's my hot take. 
I'd love it to be the Chiefs game. If we win that Chiefs game, it will be absolutely insane. Right. Um, right. And we're we still the number one in the league for a, a passer rating against the uh, pass. Obviously, so QBR, uh, quarterback rating, which is a great stat, uh, is okay. But that against pass, uh, we have the lowest average um, quarterback rating still off this week. So uh, you never know. Crazy stuff happens in this league. It really does. Well, look, Scott, I want to say thank you very much for your time this evening. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, where else can we find your details? Oh, you just go to Twitter, Scott Petrick, and brownzone.com is where all the articles are. All right, excellent. Well, look, thank you very much. Hope to see you in Bria one day. And no, it's, it's been a really, really fun debate. Um, it's, it's been very uh, sensible, which is not usually on the cards when I end up talking about Hugh Jackson with Paul. So, uh, no, it's, it's, it's been really fun and really informative. Cool. Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks a lot for your time. Take care. Change is coming, Scott. Remember that. Come on.